To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do that. Frank is a member of the Northwest Church of Christ in San Antonio and has been teaching Bible at, is it Bracken? Okay, Bracken Christian School in Bilverde for seven years. He has a master's degree in religion from Pepperdine University and has served on the, as a minister in California for 20 years before moving to Texas to be near medical facilities needed by his family. Frank comes to us highly recommended by his home congregation, and we welcome him today. I hope I read that like you wrote it. And uh, Frank, come up and teach us from God's Word. I don't know where you've got all <laughs> Good morning, church. Where's our sound booth? There you guys are. Good. I'm going to be a challenge for you, okay? I'll just tell you right up front. Uh, I'm a wanderer. It's a good thing you don't have wireless speakers here because I'd be falling off. I'm going to tell you that. I'm going to be, I'm going to try and stay here by the microphone. We good? All right. Stan, I apologize. There's a story behind you having those verses. You had the right ones. This, the, the bulletin you have, Stay here. The bulletin you have says that we're going to have a topic on when you couldn't care less. And that was a, uh, a subject that I'd been working on, some lessons that I was working on. And I was dealing with kind of a concept of spiritual Alzheimer's. And I realized this weekend that maybe I've got some of the physical uh, manifestations myself because Saturday I started looking for my sermon and I couldn't find it <laughs> and, and I just finished it you know so I'd been up at the school doing some stuff I teach Bible at Bracken Christian School to middle school and high school students and so I told my wife on Saturday let's run up to Bullverde it's about a half hour drive and you know I got to get my lesson I, I got to get boned up and ready to go on this thing and we got to school and I can't find it no problem, it's in the computer. <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> I couldn't find it. So I was a little frustrated and I decided that God didn't want me to preach that sermon to y'all this morning. He had something else in mind for you. And so I, uh, I went on home and went to work and uh, came up with some ideas and some thoughts from this scripture. You know, in two more days, we're going to do what? We're going to vote. And I've heard a lot of discussion about this idea of freedom. And this may be, from both sides, the most important election of my lifetime. Freedom is something that, that we seem to hear a lot of discussion of from the halls of Congress to the desert of Afghanistan to the, the cities of Damascus or Cairo and the so-called... Uh, uh, Arab Spring that we heard about through the last few months, men from all lives have held up banners demanding civil freedom. But the Bible tells us of another kind of freedom. The Bible tells us of a spiritual freedom. And this morning I would like to talk with you about one particular aspect of spiritual freedom. And that would be a freedom from the entrapments of guilt. 
Pray with me this morning, if you would. Father, we are blessed to be called your children. I pray, Father, this morning that I will share words that can encourage and motivate, that can lift up your children. I pray, Father, that you will watch over this meeting, that you will watch over this family. I pray your blessings on the words that are shared. In Jesus' name, amen. In the spring of 1959, an Air Force major by the name of Claude Esserly was committed to a mental institution. Major Esserly, at one time, had been a rising star. He was considered to be one of the up-and-coming great uh, pilots and leaders within the, the force we know as our Air Force. Things were going good, but 15 years prior to his being admitted to this institution, he had begun to drink. He had begun to hide his, his emotions and his feelings in the bottle, we say. His, his family was coming apart. His marriage was disintegrating. He was arrested in Houston for robbery and for forgery. And after twice trying to take his own life, he was committed to a mental institution. His doctors say this was brought on by guilt, guilt that was caused by one event that took place at one point in time in his life. You see, Major Esserly was the pilot of the straight flush. That was the scout plane that flew in front of the Enola game over the Enola Gay over Hiroshima on August the 6th in 1945. And soon after that mission, he began to have dreams of Japanese men and women and children, their bodies aflame, haunting him through the night, chasing him through the dark hollows of his mind. And that began to cause his life to collapse. His doctors say that his soon-to-follow behaviors, his antisocial behaviors, were a result that he had deliberately, even though subconsciously, begun to undertake so that he would invoke the punishment of society. They said it was his way of atoning his unresolved guilt. And that unresolved guilt was destroying his life. I think most of us have probably had conflicts with guilt in the past, maybe much less severe, I would hope, probably not facing wave after wave after wave of depression, certainly not to the point of considering the suicide. But in honest times of inward reflection, at those times when we we think about who we really are, those are the secret times that only we share with ourselves. We know that we fall short and we struggle with that. We know that we don't meet our own expectations, that we don't live up to our own ideas, that we don't live up to our own standards. And, and we know that we're capable of so much more. And that we have such potential if we could only reach that level. But these shortcomings lead us to feelings of guilt and sometimes inadequacy. There's no avoiding them. They, they haunt all of us. And so my purpose this morning in this lesson is to help us find the freedom that Jesus spoke about. To find that everyone in this audience can go home today and know that they can have freedom from, if nothing else, guilt. 
part of me wants to paint half my face blue and stand up here like Bruce Willis and go, Freedom! We can have that. But before we go, and, 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 and I don't want to come across as Dr. Laura or Dr. Phil, but before we go too far in this, I think we have to identify what guilt is. And there are four types of guilt that I want us to discuss this morning. The first type is civil guilt. Civil guilt. It is when you break or violate a human law. I'm coming up the freeway here, and I'm cruising along. I used to say I cruised along at 70, but now I can cruise at 75. But if I come cruising into town and I'm running 80, I am guilty of violating the law, am I not? Now, even though I know a few miles more further that way, it's going to be 80. If I run 80 and the speed limit is 75, I am guilty of violating the law. You see, in civil guilt, civil guilt is a fact. It is an uh, objective fact. It is not a feeling. You see, you either are breaking the law or you are not breaking the law. Our response to law breaking may vary. We, we may not feel guilty. I got a speed. I got a ticket. It wasn't a speeding ticket. I got a ticket a couple of weeks ago. Brother Rich mentioned that I'm from California. Evidently, we stop different at stop signs than you guys do. <laughs> I got a ticket for rolling through a stop sign. Technically, I guess maybe he was right. <laughs> but I didn't feel guilty about it. I still don't feel guilty about it. I'll tell you where the pain comes in a few minutes. The fact remains that in spite of my feelings, I'm guilty of breaking the law. And with civil guilt, when you break the law, you may or may not feel guilty, but you have violated the fact. The second kind of guilt I want to talk about is theological guilt. And it's similar to civil guilt. Theological guilt is the violation of God's law. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, John tells us that sin is the violation of law, God's law, transgression of God's law. If we break the law, we're guilty. That, too, is an objective fact. If we break God's law, we are guilty or not. It's a fact. We may or may not feel guilty, but nonetheless, the fact of the guilt remains and when we uh, consider theological guilt, we find that the Bible teaches us very clearly that all of us have that guilt, that we all are guilty of violating God's law. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray, each to his own way. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And even John, John writing to Christians, to people like you and me, John says in 1 John chapter 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He says two verses later, if, if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. There's no one on the face of this earth who can stand before God innocent 
We are all theologically guilty. And that's an important thing to remember when we come to the third type of guilt. And the third guilt that I would tell you about is what I call psychological guilt. Emotional guilt. This is that feeling of guilt. It's not necessarily a fact. It's a feeling. It's that painful realization that I did what I shouldn't have done again. What's wrong with me? Why can't I stop this? It's that that gut-wrenching pain that, that says, I blew it. I failed. I should have been stronger. And it's more than just a mental acclamation of the fact that I did sin. The point with psychological guilt is that the fact of the guilt is unimportant. You see, if I feel guilty... The fact of the guilt doesn't matter. I may be innocent. I may be legally innocent. But if I feel guilty, I carry the weight. With civil or theological guilt, I can be guilty and feel nothing. Or I can be guilty and feel guilty. But with this psychological, with this emotional guilt, I feel guilty even when I am legally innocent. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. My illustration on it is it's lame. It falls way short. (laughs) You have to go back a little in time. Some of you younger people don't realize it, but we used to write letters with pens and paper. And my grandmother used to write me a lot, and I would always going to write her back. Or even, remember the thank you notes? I was always going to get to those thank you notes. And I put them here. I set them aside just for a while. And a couple of days later, oh, i got to get on those. And a week later, they go through the four S's. You set them aside, okay? They uh, start to sour, and then they start to sink, that's three S's. I got another one in there. I can't remember what it is. It, you put them away. It go to the side. That, that's my illustration. But in Matthew chapter 27, we have a much more devastating example of what this kind of guilt can do to you. Matthew 27, starting in verse 3. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And But they said, What is that to us? Go and see to it yourself. And he threw the 30 pieces of silver into the sanctuary and departed, and he went away and he hanged himself. Psychological guilt in progress. We read it right there in the scripture. And, and the psychological guilt manifests itself particularly in three different feelings. The first feeling is a fear of punishment. I feel guilty, therefore I feel somehow, some way God is going to punish me. Don't sit too close to me because when that lightning bolt strikes, you don't want to be near me. I have a fear of punishment. This is what Adam experienced in the garden. You remember, he had eaten of the fruit. And and as he was walking through the garden, he, he ate the fruit and he realized he was naked. Later on, he hears God walking through the cool of the morning in the garden. And, and he realizes he's naked and he does what? What's he do, church? 
He hides. Why? Adam, God calls out to Adam. Adam, where you at, Adam? Well, Lord, I, I saw that you were here and I hid. Why, why were you hiding? Well, because I, I was naked and I was afraid. I was afraid. Fear is one of the first emotions that comes with that. The second feeling that comes with psychological guilt is this feeling of depression. It is a feeling of worthlessness. It is a loss of my own self-esteem. Because I feel guilty, I feel worthless before my father. That's what Judas experienced in the scripture we just read. We tend to lose sight of the fact That yes, man sinned in the garden. But God didn't curse him to become like the animals. God didn't curse him and have him crawl on his belly. God recognized and left him fully a man. And remained a man after this time. Made in the image of God. The third feeling that comes with psychological guilt is the feeling of isolation and rejection. Because I feel guilty, I feel that God, as well as my fellow brothers and sisters, I feel like the people I know, I feel like they're going to reject me. Man, do we ever get that way? Do we get that way to the point where we... We want to have a prayer, we want to have a conversation with God... And yet in my heart, how can he listen to me? How can, how can I have a relationship with him? I know how guilty I am. That's psychological guilt. I know how bad I've been. I, how can I pray to him? That's how David experienced guilt after his sin with Bathsheba. In Psalm 32. When I kept silent about my sin, David says, my body wasted away and throw my groanings all day long. And for day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as the fever heat of summer. And for over a year, David was alienated in his relationship from God because he carried this psychological guilt, this feeling of rejection. It is a devastating guilt. So we have civil guilt. We have theological guilt. We have psychological guilt. There is a fourth kind of guilt I want to tell you about this morning. And that is what I call uh, constructive guilt. The Bible refers to it basically as godly sorrow. This is the sorrow Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Is that written, not written from a psychological guilt but a realistic point of guilt. You remember this church at Corinth? He writes the first letter to the church at Corinth and he tells them, man, you got some problems. Today we call those issues. You got issues. There was sexual sin. There was drunkenness in the communion service. There was uh, improper use of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. There was no love between those that were rich and those that were slaves. There was problem after problem. And and Paul writes out this book, this letter that we call 1 Corinthians, as a chastisement to this church that said, Get your stuff together. And then later we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says, And now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. 
For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, in order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. Get that? Without regret. Leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Constructive guilt, godly sorrow is healthy because it brings about change. Back to David in Psalm 32. I read 3 and 4, verse 5, David says then, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. So there's four types. There's civil. There's theological, there's psychological, and there's constructive or godly sorrow, guilt. What about the Christian and guilt? How does that all work out? You see, as Christians, we may or may not have and feel guilty when we violate civil law. I already told you, I don't feel guilty for violating that stop sign. As Christians, we and all mankind stand before God guilty of violating his law. We are guilty as charged. And under any law system, under any system of law, when you are guilty of violating the law, there's a penalty to be paid. There's a price to be paid. If you run a stop sign in San Antonio, it's $187. (laughs) Ask me how I know. (laughs) There's a penalty. Whether I feel guilty or not, I still had to give them the money. And if you happen to make a really boneheaded mistake and you write out the check on a checking account that you closed two years ago, they're going to want another $100. And it has to be in a cashier's check. Ask me how I know. If you violate the law, in a, in, in, in a system of law, you have to pay the fine. But with us as Christians, I want you to understand the penalty for our guilt for the violation of God's law has already been paid. We are not under a system of law. We are under a system of grace. So that Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, lest any man boast. It is the gift of God. It's a gift. In a couple of weeks, I guess about, I don't know what, eight? We're going to have Christmas time rolling around. And we're going to be rolling gifts out to one another. You're going to give some gifts. You're going to get some gifts. When somebody gives you a gift, there's only two things you can do with it. You either accept it or you say, no, you keep it. Okay? Those are your only two choices. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve Well, you might deserve it. You didn't earn it. I'll stay with that one. <laughs> <sighs> Certainly my wife deserves every gift she gets. (laughs) It's a gift. 
The price has been paid. The fine has been paid. The penalty has been paid by Christ. That's why Paul could write in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We had a garage sale, was it last weekend? Weekend before. Big neighborhood garage sale. We live in one of those little fancy neighborhoods where everybody gets together and they advertise it and people come from all over. We have a big garage sale. And i got to tell you, we've been paying $150 a month, I don't know for how long, for this storage locker full of stuff we've never seen. I reached the point where I said, we're done. And we emptied that storage locker and everything came out and it got laid out there on tables. I brought tables home from school. We filled those things up and we had us a garage sale. But in the process of getting to that garage sale, I opened a book and out of a book fell this piece of paper. It's a picture of a kid holding a football. That kid is five years older than my oldest son, who's an attorney in Northern California, and He was our foster child at the time. This was taken Saturday, November 28, 1992. Look at the condition. It's perfect. You know what? It was hidden in the book. Whatever happened to the book. It wasn't my Bible. It was a different book. But whatever happened to the book. Wait, you don't ever open it? No. Whatever happened to the book was going to happen to that picture. If the book went in the garbage, the picture went in the garbage. If the book burned up, the picture burned up. If the book sat on the shelf for the next 20 years, so did the picture. The picture was in the book. The condition of the picture is exactly as it went in to the book. It's saved there. It's protected there. It is in place there. And I want to suggest to you that when Paul says there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ, you are in the same position as Christ as that picture is in the book. Where Christ is, you are. And when Christ is is standing at the throne, you are being covered by His blood. And when God looks at you, He sees, not you, He sees the covering, He sees the blood of Christ. Christ already paid the penalty for our sin. The Christian has no place for psychological guilt in their life. Yes, we are guilty of breaking God's law, but the Bible nowhere encourages us to have this psychological guilt. There are three words used in the Bible for the word that we translate guilt. All three of them refer to the fact of guilt. Not one of them refer to a feeling of guilt. Emotional guilt feelings are always destructive to us as Christians. I believe that they are the major cause of our spiritual deadness. They are the major cause of our spiritual defeat. Brethren, we've been subject to this wolf in sheep's clothing long enough. We need to be free. We can do this by... Converting our feelings into godly sorrow. This is how God disciplines us with love, with godly sorrow, and it leads to repentance. So who are we? I don't know. I love the song that Isaac Watt wrote at the cross. I like John Newton's Amazing Grace, but we are not the worm. We are not the wretch. We are creatures that have been created in the image of God. We've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And yes, we are deeply fallen in sin. And yet God loves us greatly with the very same love that he had for Jesus Christ. The very same love. 
And God looks at us and he sees Christ like the paper in the book. He doesn't reach down and whisper, oh, Frank, you dirty, rotten scandal, I'm going to get you good this time. Rather, in love, he pleads with us to give up our ways of sin, which are never good for us. Brethren, we need to know this morning, we need to understand that in Christ, we can be and are totally free. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says that all spiritual blessings are in Christ. 2 Timothy 2.10 says salvation is in Christ. 1 John 5.11 says that eternal life is in Christ. How do you get into Christ? I play that game with my kids at school. you got to be careful being a church Christ preacher teaching acts to high school kids in an evangelical Christian school. <clears throat> that B word gets you in trouble sometimes. Baptism. Um. <laughs> so I ask the kids, don't you want to be in Christ? Yeah, we want to be in Christ, Mr. Riley. How do you get there? i got a bucket full of candy in my room. Get 90 or better on your memory work, you get a piece of candy. But every once in a while, we do what we call grabs. And a grab is hand in and out as much as you can bring out. For a grab, I'll give a grab to anybody who can tell me how you get into Christ. Boy, they go to work on it. Two day, for three days, they'll come up with every belief scripture that you've ever heard. Yes, you have to believe in Jesus. That's good. That is absolutely necessary. But that doesn't tell me how to get into Christ. Oh, okay, so they go back. There's always one or two go-getters that they'll stay on it day and night. Their, their parents tell me they stay up all night long searching and reading. They'll come in after three or four days, eyes all red and baggy. Mr. Riley, I think I got it this time. What do you got? Romans chapter 6, verse 3. I said, oh, what's that one say? It says, know you not that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into it. You get baptized into Christ, Mr. Riley. I said, okay, go get a grab. You got it right. Only two scriptures in all of your New Testament that tell you how you get into Christ. Romans chapter 6 verse 3, Galatians chapter 3 verse 27. Know you not as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have been clothed with him. Brethren, today I'm going to just ask you straight out. If you are in Christ, if you've been baptized into Christ, you are just like that picture in this book. You are covered by the blood of Christ and there's no room for guilt over your life. You just work harder. You have godly sorrow and you repent from your sin and you move forward. You are as good a place. No condemnation. All spiritual blessings. Salvation and eternal life in Christ. And if you're here this morning and you've never been baptized into Christ, I would encourage you. Isn't that where you want to be? Don't you want to be hiding in my book? Okay. Don't you want to be covered by the blood of Jesus? This morning, if we can help you with any needs that you have, I know the elders meet at the back and are available for prayer. I I believe you have elders up here at front. If you have a need for this congregation, would you please come as we stand the song uh, that's been selected? Hear the sweet voice of Jesus say, Come unto me, I am the way. Hearken the loving call, obey. Come for he loves.